This week, Pashas Vayeda, also the Shabbos before Chof Mar Cheshven, the birth of the Rebbe Rashab. Coincidentally, there is no such thing. There is no such thing as coincidence in Yiddishkeit. When it comes to Teda, everything is Ashkacha Pratis. Everything is Ashkacha Pratis to the extent that we need to take it as a lesson in our life. The Holy Baal Shem Tov told us everything we see, hear, or experience is a direct lesson from the Almighty, from the Evishta. And yet, oftentimes we find ourselves going through an experience, a trial, a tribulation bewildered, befuddled, and wondering why? Why me? Well, sometimes even on occasion when we feel righteous we even say, why them? A lifelong question that we ask. As if we have a say in the matter. As if we are the ones that are there to determine who should, how should, and when they should. The East Coast this week experienced a little wake-up call. A wake-up call to the extent... A wake-up call to the extent that the damage, the suffering, the loss of both monetary and life, Rahman al-Islam, was experienced throughout the East Coast. What does that mean to us? The glasses. Where's my torch? I have a problem with the ah. <laughs> What does that mean to us? And what do we have to learn from it? And what do we have to take from this? Again, as we say, there is no such thing as coincidence when it comes to the world. And therefore, 
if on the week that we read the story of Sadaim and Amira, and even more so, on the week of Yudzayin Marcheshvan, the day that according to the calendar, the flood, the Mabel began, on that week, devastation struck the East Coast. Let us understand then what lesson is there for us. What message is there for us? The Gemara tells us that the Almighty drops two drops into the sea which cause tremendous, tremendous damage. To remind the Jews that they are still, although amongst the non-Jewish nation, they must remember that they are the Jewish nation. Although they are in the midst of persecution, they must remember they are Shem's people. The people in Sidaim and Amira were unique. Listening to that line, people must wonder. There's a difference between unique and wicked. There definitely is a difference between unique and wicked. The people in Sudan Vameda were unique that even wicked couldn't live up to their standards. Even in our generation where we find unfortunately decadence we find unfortunately let us just call it the lack of Avas Yisrael we find unfortunately people that are insensitive to other people and people that think that they can take the law into their own hands, and they are the ones, they are God's messengers to teach people lessons, or to fight people's battles, which as we all know, the repercussions of all these obvious actions, As bad as you could think you know a person, Sadaim outdid these people in leaps and bounds. Sadaim and Ameda would have dealings such as the court cases, where if a person beat another person, and the person that was beat to pieces to a pulp would bring the other person to court the judge would say aha, he beat you he made you bleed do you know that letting blood is very healthy he helped you by letting your blood out and because he helped you you have to pay him money not only did he say that he was not wrong and he was not right the person came bandaged and bloodied up to the court and was told to pay for the privilege. If heaven forbid a person came to sleep the night in Sudaim, there was a certain size bed that the guest house allowed. If the person was too tall for the guest bed, they shortened them. They cut their feet off. And if they were too too short, they stretched them. They made them even longer so they fit to the bed. Mm -hmm. Actually,
actions that are totally unimaginable. Behavior that society cannot, not only not accept, but not begin to believe or understand. This was Sadaim and Amida. And this town, let me teach you something. After you do finish glasses, you have to wipe them. Right? This town, these areas, were destroyed to the ground. Were destroyed not only to the ground, but to their roots. Because the Almighty judged the sin of Sdaim and Ameda. Don Hachet the Sdaim Ameda. He judged the sins of the cities and destroyed them and uprooted them. And not to. upset anybody. Not to. Give anybody un unhappy feelings, shall we say, or rock anyone's boats. But the words "don hachet," this va judging the sins of va have the same numerical value of the letters in Hebrew of Hurricane Sandy. That this hurricane caused the devastation, the destruction of everything in its path and then some. And it's only right and proper That by this year, at this moment, we are feeling enough and sympathetic enough to mankind, to our fellow man, woman, and child that went through the devastation and the suffering that they did. Our heart and our sympathies. Now we have to understand that the devastation that took place in people's property and land was not just a broken window, a broken car, a broken home. It was not just a house that totally was demolished or collapsed. But memories Lifetime photos and books and inheritances and things that people had for generations in their family were totally wiped out. The devastation. One person I was speaking to today told me his basement and the first floor are totally, totally destroyed. But even worse than that, when one of the cabinets in the basement was lifted up from the ground, from the water, it smashed his water main. So they can't even get to the water main to fix it because there's flood, the basement and the house is fully flooded. So to try to pump the water out to get to the water main is, is just a living hell he's going through. Besides that the DEP is going to have a heyday on his water bill. His furniture, his house, his kitchen, his stove, everything devastated. He says on a, on a rough estimate of a blink of an eye, he's looking at $400,000 damage. The building, the structure, the whole entrance from the patio into the house the whole doorway is melted out from the salt, corroded from the salt of the water the beach. 
No, in the Shibsa Bay, in, yeah, in the area of Shibsa Bay. Very close from, uh, from uh, King's Plaza. By the water there. But more than anything else are all the family memories and legacies that have been destroyed. This is something that's beyond, that we cannot recuperate. We cannot get back. <laughs> First of all, I don't know if you saw the picture, but there was a beautiful picture of a rainbow across New York. Oh, really? Yes. In Florida as well. Of all these pictures, of all these pictures that are showing of the devastation, everything, they have a picture of rainbows. Second of all, when the Almighty destroyed the world by the Babel, there was nothing. Neach came off of that teva, had to start rebuilding an entire world. There was nothing in this world. Here you still have the rest of the United States and the rest of the world. <coughs> the question, of course, being why the East Coast? Did we say the same when it was Katrina in New Orleans? Did we say the same when a tsunami hits in Asia? Do we say the same when the 7.7 earthquake hit, excuse me, British Columbia? We don't know what and where the direction is. Sometimes everyone's boots need to be shaken. The fellow in Siberia, the fellow in Poland, the fellow without any internet or television, sitting in Sweden somewhere, was not affected by Hurricane Sandy. Not only was not affected, but doesn't know anything about it. And there's more so. My daughter called today to her leasing company to say that the first tomorrow and you can't put in her check because she hasn't gotten paid. She works in Long Island. She has to get her check next week. I said, what? And she said, because of the storm. And the person answering the phone said, what storm? So let it be known, my friends, that as much as we are looking at all the pictures, recognizing the cars or the houses, <laughs> they had a beautiful picture of a bunch of cars floating, literally, in a, in a just a... Upside down. Upside down in a bunch of high, in very, very high water. And someone wrote a caption to it, the new form of carpool. Nebuch, nebuch, nebuch. Here we are on the outside looking in and laughing. How many people are going to be without lights and electric for who knows how long? Oh, forget about it. Con Edison, live and be well. well. You guys have lights, by the way? Oh, sure. Oh. I don't know. I wasn't from Con Edison is offering... This is my next my neighborhood. Up down my block my house. Dry ice to all their customers. I don't need dry ice. They're offering dry ice because your freezers and fridges might not be working. They're offering dry ice. In other words, don't expect us to have you up and running anytime soon. It's a wonderful gesture from one part. But on the other hand, the light at the end of the tunnel at the moment in Khan Edison is an oncoming train. Is the line for gas too now? Is the line for gas already? <laughs> That's what we came in late. So we must take a lesson from this. It's very scary. Nothing is scary. You know why? Because the fear, the concept of fear, is dedicated, that attribute of fear, is dedicated for God only. The only thing that we're allowed to fear is God. No fear Shakespeare. No fear what? And your wife, yeah. No fear Shakespeare. (laughs) (laughs) You can fear your wife too, yes. Okay. (laughs) Don't let her do that. (laughs) what our obligation and motion should be at the moment is resolution to take on a resolution of a mitzvah of a good deed that we want to do to continue and to keep on doing Thanking Hashem 
for his kindness and his goodness. Because let us be honest, we are sitting here in a dry room, the lights on. Baruch Hashem, nothing really was affected even in this neighborhood. Many years ago, in 1929, there were articles appearing in a paper in Philadelphia. There were several Jewish publications, believe it or not, in 1929. This is right before the Depression. And in the newspapers were appearing an article, a Jewish newspapers, and an article about a rabbi that had come from Europe, from Russia, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson. And he was in Philadelphia, the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And the articles quoted the Rebbe in great detail of how he's asking what people to do, etc. There's one particular fellow that was not necessarily too religious. And he and his friends read these articles and started to mock the concept of a Rebbe. And they said, what, he's now becoming God? He thinks he's going to become God now? And they went to the synagogue and they discussed this. And he said, the person in the shul said, why don't you go see him? Talk to him, ask him what he's all about. So one of the articles mentioned where the Rebbe was staying. By Mrs. Fagin Miller. A woman that was very known for her charitable Hachnas and so late Saturday night, these six people decided to go visit the Rebbe. And they were going to confront the Rebbe and ask him, who does he think he is that he's going to replace God? They came up the front steps onto the porch, and they saw through the window the whole room was full of people. It's obviously a living room that was waiting, there's a waiting room. They rang the bell, and the Chassid came to the door. His name was Chachafagin. He was the Rebbe's personal shamus. And Chachaf said, "Can I help you?" So we'd like to speak to the Rebbe. He says, "What do you want?" He says, "We have an important question to ask him." They knew they couldn't ask, tell the shamus, the gabai. We want to ask him if he's replacing God because he'll throw them out. So he said, about what? The Rebbe wants to know the question before you come to him. So they said, we'd like to know how he expects us to keep old-fashioned religion in a modern country. Figure they'll give a fictitious question when they come upstairs, they'll have already fight it out with the Rebbe. Chacha said, you'll have to wait. You see, there's a lot of people here. But come in and wait. He said, listen, we'll wait here on the porch. There's a lot of people inside. Claustrophobic. All of a sudden, a few minutes later, Chacha Fagan comes out. says, come, come, the Rebbe wants to see you now. They went into the house. They walked through this whole crowded living room. And they come through the crowded living room and they arrive on top of the steps and there on top of the steps stood the Fidik Rebbe. This beautiful smile. A big spadik on his head. And he stuck out his hand to greet them. And they didn't know that Siddiq Rebbe shake your hand like this. And the Rebbe said, this is the happiest moment I've had since I'm in Philadelphia. And the Rebbe started to arrange for them the chairs around his desk. 
They wanted to help. The Rebbe said, no, no, let me do it. And each one sat down. And the Rebbe started saying, Friedrich Rebbe told him as follows, you look like very intelligent young men, so I'm going to speak at your level. You're wondering about how come all those people downstairs are sitting and waiting so long. And I took you in first. So I said, let me tell you. I'll, each one of you noticed that before you came in, the Gabbai asked you, what's your question? So everybody had that same experience. They were all asked what their question was. One guy, that I was looking at the papers, one guy, his daughter is very seriously ill, so what can I do? Nothing more than he can do. He davens to God, I daven to God, that she should have a complete recovery. Another one says he has a lawsuit, and he wants me to pray that he should win. How do I know who's right? He can pray that the Lord should give justice. There's another man who wants to buy a business wants me to intercede on his behalf to make sure that it's successful. <laughs> if I could do that, I'd be a rich businessman. I wouldn't be a ever. So those people have to wait because I don't know how to deal with them yet. But your question, Rebbe said, if I could not answer your question, I have no right to be a Rebbe. This took them all aback. They were shocked. They came to ask him why he's trying to become God and he's being so down to earth with them. And the Rebbe smiled and continued. First the Rebbe said, I have to admit a little secret between us and I'm sure you're going to keep it. You're not going to give anybody give it out. There are 613 mitzvahs, the Rebbe said. And while Lubavitcher Rebbe tries to keep them all, he spoke about himself, he finds it impossible to keep them all. So what does he do? Throws all of, all of them away? No. He keeps whatever he can. Whatever is humanly possible, the Lubavitch Rebbe keeps. These through few words that the Rebbe spoke, he melted everything these people had in their hearts. Well, the way the guy writes it, he removed the venom that we had. And the Rebbe asked us to try to keep mitzvahs as much as we could. And if we kept as many as we could, then we'd be just the same thing like the Lubavitcher Rebbe. He asked for our names, our mother's names. We offered our legal names also, our business, our addresses, if you want to send us a bill or something. Some of the boys even put their hands in their pocket to give the Rebbe something. Said, no, 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 I don't need anything. I don't need your money, I want your mitzvahs. Do mitzvahs. Then the Rebbe looked at everybody and says, that everybody here put on tefillin? And several had to say they weren't. They gave up on that a long time ago. The Rebbe offered them a pair of tefillin. They should have tefillin to put on. And then at that point, they all saw that the Yechidus was basically finished. So they promised to the Rebbe that they would do according to his suggestion. Each one got a separate bracha, separate blessing. The Rebbe shook everyone's hands, and they left. They came out to the porch, and they stood there mesmerized for about two hours, trying, trying to digest what just happened. They all made a hachlota to daven at least once a day. One said he was a dental's assistant. He said he's going to stop working on Shabbos. And not only he stopped working on Shabbos, after a few months he got his dentist to give up also Shabbos. Also Jewish. And one of them, a fellow Gabriel Lowenthal, signed up in a shul, became a member and began to teach the ways of the Rebbe. What he learned, the philosophy from the Rebbe. Those ten minutes, he says, 
helped me get through the depression in World War II, I very much wanted to connect again with the Friedrich Rebbe. But instead, he says, I wasn't, I was not merit for it. But I did connect with his son in law, with the Rebbe himself. 1929. The fellow tells the story and relives it as if it happened today. We're in a parsha this week that begins with a phenomenal, phenomenal story. Avram Avinu is after his bris mila. And what is he doing? He's looking for guests. And the Almighty sees the pain that he is going through because of lack of guests. And the Almighty sends him guests. The Pasha goes on to the story of Sudan. First when they come to the king, to King of Plishtim, and how it goes on with his wife, again saying that it's his sister. Then the tailor tells us the story of Sudan Vameda. The destruction of Sudan Vameda and the beginning of the nations of Amin and Moyav. And then the Teda goes into a total different mode and tells the most heroic story possible. The story of Akedas Yitzchak. There was a time in the Jewish history that the Torah was forbidden to be read in the shul on Shabbos. A decree. And the sages, so that not to allow it to be forgotten, established the Novi, the Haftorah. And established that the people should read the Haftorah weekly, a portion from the Nevi'im and the Ksuvim, from the prophets and from the scriptures, that have a similarity to the Parsha. The Haftorah of this week's Parsha is the famous story of Elisha and Isha Ashunamis. Of the widow, the woman that was devastatingly poor, and the prophet Elisha comes to her home, and instead of giving her money or a credit card, American Express Black, and say, go get what you need. He asks her, where are the vessels in your house? And needless to say, they were all empty, but one that had a little bit of oil. And he says, pour, pour my child. And as she poured, the oil went on and on and on, and he said, borrow vessels from your neighbor's. And as long as there were empty vessels, the oil poured. <laughs> Tell a story of a fellow that, an ignoramus, Nebuch, but an ignoramus with an ego. It's one of the worst statuses a person gets to. He didn't know how to learn Torah, but he had an ego and wanted to show people he did. So much so, run and listen to the story. So much so that he wrote a book. He wrote a sefer. Wow. Didn't know. He wrote a sefer. You'll repeat it to him. And he came to a Rebbe and he asked the Rebbe to give him approbation. Haskama on the Sefer. So that Rebbe read through the Sefer, saw that there was nothing here that was anything connected to Torah. It was total, total, as we say, Amaratzes. But the Rebbe didn't want to tell him, fool, what are you doing with this book? Why do you want to spread and make show everybody what kind of idiot you are? So the Rebbe 
in very kind fashion. It's time to take a picture, right? Nope. In a very kind fashion, <laughs> the Rebbe said to him, had you been in the time of Elisha, the oil would not have stopped flowing. The man considered that such a tremendous praise. Oil is Torah. Oil is the secrets of Torah compared to oil. And here the Rebbe is comparing him to oil. He must definitely think so highly of his book. And he was sitting there so proudly and praising himself. When that Rebbe saw that he didn't get the message, he told him, my friend, the only reason the oil stopped pouring was because there were no more empty vessels. <laughs> but had you been in the time of the Elisha, there would have been one more empty vessel, so he would have been able to pour more oil. <laughs> so the story of Isha Hashanamis, again a tremendous, tremendous story that takes such a different dimension in Judaism. Many years ago, about 20 plus, uh-huh. it was in 770 on a Shabbos afternoon, and Chassidim was sitting around, I've told this story before, Chassidim was sitting around, they were fabraining, and one fellow stood up, and he said, I want to tell you all a story. And he told the story of a little boy in Israel, who one day started getting headaches, Rahman al-Islam. And they took him to doctors and they found out that he had Rahman al-Islam a brain tumor. And they went from doctor to doctor, professor to professor, and the doctor said, don't even try. It's not worth it. Did you call to her later tell her that she... Yes. Call her on the phone, tell her, you know. Finally, the doctor suggested take pity on this boy, don't put him through all the tortures of the radiations and the other chemos and everything they're worth, they're not going to work anyway. You'll extend his life another month, too, but it'll be of no value. Give him valuable time for the next few months, take him on a journey. You have money, let him see the world. Broken-hearted parents realized what it means, and understood the message, and wanted to give their child some quality life. So they booked tickets, and they went globetrotting. Europe, France, England, etc. And finally, the United States of America. The first stop was in New York, in the big city Manhattan. And as morning came, and they're walking the streets of Manhattan, and this beautiful decorated camper was on the street, and there was music coming out of the roof. So the little boy said to his father, Abba, let's see what this is all about. As they got closer, there were Bachram standing by the door, and they said, Come, are you Jewish? And he said, Oh no, Haredim, religious Jews. He says, Come, let's get out of here. And the child said, No, Abba, let's see it. He says, Yoni, stop, let's go. By this time, the Bachram jumped off the mitzvah tank, and he approached the fellow, and he said, I see you're Israeli. Baruch Haba, welcome to America. Bobo Taniyach Tvirin. Kamparan Tvirin, my friend. Yoni would be happy. He really, he heard the boy's name. Yoni would like you to do it also. It'll take a minute, doesn't cost money, and you'll enjoy it too. The kid said, Yoni looked up Nebuch with his eyes to his father. What was the father do for the child? The father mounted the mitzvah tank, put out his tefillin, and they began talking to each other. And as they're talking, the man tells the bacher Yoni's story. 
the Bachi hears the story and says to the man, Altafasves, don't waste the opportunity. Go with her. Don't waste the opportunity. Come visit the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Let the Rebbe give him a blessing. The guy started, you crazy, what do we have with the Rebbe? Again, they said, what do you have to lose? You're not going to get any worse than this. You already gave up hope. Call me tomorrow and I'll meet you in Crown Heights in 770. This is my number at home. And we'll go to the office, we'll make an appointment. And the next morning, the parents... And the Bacha meet outside 770. They went into Maskidis to the Secretariat. And lo and behold, that night they were given an appointment. Around midnight they enter the Rebbe's room and they spread, they sit themselves down. They spread out the x-rays. And the Rebbe picks up the x-rays and looks at them and says, eh, it doesn't look so serious. A good kosher diet will take care of everything. So what are you talking about? I'm telling you. Let them start eating only kosher meals, only kosher food from now on, and everything will be fine. The father was ballistic. He grabbed the x-rays. Are you crazy? It's nothing. What do you mean? It's nothing. How can you say it's nothing? And they walked, they got back to the hotel in Manhattan. And the mother is crying now and she says, Listen, what do we have to lose? This man didn't even take money from us. He didn't ask us for anything. If this is what he suggests, let's do it. And that day, she went out in the morning and she bought from a kosher supermarket, kosher products only, and the family started to eat only kosher. The next two, three days in Manhattan, eating only kosher, the little boy looked up to his father and said, Abba, I feel strange. Something is happening to me. I don't know what it is. Needless to say, they immediately thought, God forbid, for the worst. They took him immediately to a hospital in Manhattan, and they had a CAT scan, x-rays, and they showed the doctor the old x-rays, the previous ones, to see, let him measure, to see if God forbid it's spreading. The doctor looked at it and said, what are you doing? What treatment are you giving this child? There's some kind of treatment that you're doing that's working. This tumor is shrinking. The parents were were sugar from the story and they realized that this was really indeed the solution and this was the conduit to God's blessings and they kept going with the kosher food only and they kept a complete kosher diet they became totally religious, observant and when they came back to Israel they were now eating only kosher food and they went back to all the professors and the doctors for a checkup and found there was nothing wrong with the child. He was totally healed. Needless to say, everybody was mesmerized by the story. Although a miracle from the Rebbe is something that we hear that often. But the fellow said, I have one more thing to tell you. He said, man, Vacha, really, with a beard and a hat and a jacket, standing and telling this story proudly says, I have one more thing to tell you. I am that little child. This is my story. This happened to me. The, the Rebbe saved me with making my family religious and changing our diet to a totally kosher diet. We have a very strange phenomenon in this week's Pasha, though.
which teaches us just the same lesson. We find in the beginning of the Pasha, Hashem, the Almighty appears to Avram Avinu to come to visit the sick. We know the very famous story of the Rebbe Rashab was four or five years old. And he came into his father and he said to him, I don't understand, I'm very upset, I'm very depressed. And he started to cry physically. He said, what's the matter with my kids? Rebbe Marash was very, very sympathetic, was very, very emotional with his child. And the little boy said, the Almighty appears to Avram Avinu, why doesn't he appear to me? The Ramarash told him, if a man at 99 years old chooses to circumcise himself, he deserves that God should appear to him. The abnegation and self-sacrifice. This was now the third day after the bris milah. And at this point, the Almighty is coming to be Mavakachela, to visit the sick, to pay a visit to Avram Avinu. The question is simple. Why did the Almighty wait until the third day? Why didn't He come earlier? Now we know, of course, that on the third day is the worst. The pain is the worst. But the real, the in-depth answer is the sages tell us that when a person comes to be mevakachela, the Gemara and Edarim Lametes Beis for those who are trying to keep score at home, thirty-nine side B, for those who have a dafyomi in English, Bikachelim takes away a sixtieth of the sickness. Even more so that Ramban adds that when the Almighty came and asked how he is, the mere fact that the Shina appeared to him helped to heal him. So the Almighty healed him on the spot. The fact that one of the three angels came to heal him Malach Rafal. It was only the physical showing in the world. The Almighty likes to make the world look physical. Likes to make the world look like it's running by nature. The Almighty doesn't like the world to look miraculous. And therefore the entire mitzvah finishing off was by actually sending a malach. It should look like derech ha-teva, not through a miracle. Sometimes a mitzvah gets very hard and is painful. The Almighty doesn't want to make it weaker or to nullify it, God forbid, through a miracle. This is why the Almighty waits till the third day. In order to heal the, the ail, ailments, the pains of the Mila, not to be contrary to nature, it takes on the third day is when the main healing takes place. So therefore on that day, when the main healing is going to take place, on that day the Almighty chose to... Choose to visit him and healed him through Malach Machol. The Malachim each had their own mission. One was to heal Avram, one was to bless, to bring the news that Sarah would have a child, bear a child, and one was to destroy Sadaim. What's the reason for the background music?
We find in the Torah though, when the Malachim come to destroy Sedaim, the Malach says to late and to his children, to the wife, leave before I destroy. The Almighty did not take that lovingly. The Almighty said, you're going to be the one that's going to destroy? I am the one, said the Almighty. Ironically, when the Almighty wants to do things through nature, wants to do things, wants to send messages that it should look like nature is bringing the message about, why does the Almighty then get upset with nature, get upset with the angel for saying that he was doing it rather than just being a messenger from God? Ultimately, the destruction came from God's hand. Similarly, we see today, and as we saw on Yudzayin Cheshvin, when the marble began, the rains that fell, the winds that blew, the waves that f- overflowed and drowned and capsized. A 700 ton tanker ended up in the middle of the street in Staten Island. Ooh. The news reporters were standing there just mesmerized looking at this thing. It's not a little sailboat. A 700 ton tanker was pulled out of the water and lifted up onto the streets of Staten Island. How strong, how severe was this actual storm? Or how severe And how strong was the hand of a God. It is that, therefore, that we need to look at, that we need to visualize, that we need to see and understand the hand of God and only the hand of God was the one that led to the house that got a tree in it, to the car that was crushed by a tree, to the houses that were Rahman al-Islam flooded. It's very easy for the man sitting in his house with lights and refrigeration and dry floors and basement, Baruch Hashem, to say, Oi, what happened my brethren? that you are suffering. Nobody can feel actually the pain of a person that suffered such, that was smitten by such a thing. I have a friend, his entire library is in his basement. And his library makes mine look like a cheap bookstore. And the entire library is flooded. And we have people, like I said before, that the water main managed to break also in the house. So the house is totally, totally devastated. It'll take months before he can move back home. They have to find out an apartment to live in. Never mind the hundreds of thousands of dollars and the sentimental damage that was done. But this is all the hand of the Almighty God. And just like the hand of God that turned over Sudaim Vameda and that same hand of God that saves Yitzchak by the Akedah. God tells Avram to sacrifice his only son. The son that he waited 100 years to have. The son that was promised 
would be the continuity of his mission, would be the child that would bring about the entire Jewish nation, the Almighty tells him to sacrifice him, to bring him up as a carbon. And Avraham Avinu does not bat an eye. Vayashkeim Avraham Baboiker. He got up earlier than usual to go out and to do the Almighty's bidding. But the hand of God via an angel stops Avram from this deed. Why an angel? Why not the Almighty who sent him? Why not did the Almighty stop him as well? And the answer is very simple. The reason that, either way, it's a twofold question actually. If the Almighty planned on stopping him through an angel, why didn't he originally send an angel as well to tell him to do it? But if the Almighty told him to do it, why didn't the Almighty stop him as well? And the Almighty teaches us a very powerful lesson for this. And this is probably the lesson and the message that we get from what happened this week as well. When it comes to say or do something not good for a Jew to a Jew, whether it be Loshan Hara, whether it be something that the person did to publicize it, or whether it be to literally go out and to hurt a person physically. To do something wrong to a Jew, only God Almighty Himself can do it. And therefore to send a man to slaughter his child, only the Word of God Himself. To save a Jew, to stop this sacrifice, that an angel is sufficient. And therefore the Almighty sends a Malach to stop him. What angel was flying around the entire East Coast protecting certain houses, protecting certain trees, protecting certain properties and people? An entire hospital Lost power. NYU. And their backup and did not work. And they checked it before. Because they were warned to check it. But as the power was shut down, they tried their generators and nothing went on. They had to evacuate and who knows how many people never are going to pay the consequence for that. experiments that were going on in the hospital rats and mice and etc the entire lab was wiped out so years and years of experiments were wiped out there's nothing they can get back do we understand do we have an understanding what happened in Coney Island hospital none of this is something that the human mind can grasp But the message to us is that the angel that protected it and the angel that stopped from going anywhere worse is an angel that the Almighty sent and only the Almighty can send. We need to be thankful and we need to know that our Moidani in the morning is totally different. And as the Friedrich Rebbe told these people, Try your best to do as many of the 613 mitzvahs that you can. Try your best to see to it that you fulfill whatever you can in the Torah. And thereby, trying to be a better Jew. That is our mission That should be our resolution. That should be our decision that we're going to take from this. 
thanking Hashem for what He spared us of. Because even the people that are devastated housewives are telling their mother, their father, telling their children, their son and daughter, whoever it might be, this is what happened to our house. But they're sitting and talking about it. They're healthy, thank God. They're in one piece. They're alive. This is what we have to understand and accept from what happened. And we should be able to take this and go with this message to a happier occasion and to be able to go to the happiest of occasions on this very Shabbos with Mashiach Tzidkenu as we know that Mashiach is in Sidon. Mashiach will come from this Mashiach will come from the lessons and the message the Almighty sent us through this hurricane and through the the marble that began in Yitzayin Marchezrin to the Kachof Chezrin to the Rebbe Rashab and all that the Rebbe Rashab stood for.